Hey, all you women in medicine out there, it's time for Dr. Me First, a podcast all about authentic conversations between us, female physicians. I'm Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, and this is episode number 23. I'm hoping that you're finding through these conversations that you're getting encouragement, inspiration, hope, and future for your life and your practice. I also hope that you're finding the community of true speakers, lifesavers, and fierce females who are supporting one another through Dr. Me First. Well, let's get into a little bit about today's episode. My guest today is Dr. Allie Thomas Fanning. Not only do we have a great time on this podcast, but we know each other in our professional lives working for the same organization. It took a little bit of prompting to get Dr. Thomas on the podcast, but she is hilarious. She is a psychiatrist and pretty much convinced me that I should have been a psychiatrist from the beginning of it. But her word today is a little bit explicit. So if you have any little ears in the room, you probably want to turn this off. But her word is fuck. And she tells us why she picks this word and the intriguingness of what cursing brings into your life. So listen to our conversation and then stick around for that kick of encouragement afterwards. Here we go. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Wiseman again. Hey, I have a great guest today. Her name is Dr. Allie Thomas Fanning. She's actually one of my real life friends who agreed to come onto the podcast, and I'm excited to have her today. So Dr. Thomas Fanning, tell us all about yourself. So I guess I guess I can start at the beginning. I'm 36 years old. I'm originally from Kentucky. Um, I'm a psychiatrist. Uh, I finished residency in 2016. Um, I, I went to Duke for residency in UofL for my medical school. I am married and have two kids, um, two girls. Uh, my husband um, uh, has been a great support with, with, with for me, and we've been together for 11 years this past October, so we've been married for 11 years. Um, I practice primarily community mental health as an outpatient doc, but I cover for the inpatient uh, on weekends and on vacations for our inpatient guy. I'm also the program director for a brand new residency that's starting in psychiatry here at um, Good Samaritan Hospital in Vincennes. And uh, we're under the um, uh, umbrella of IU. So it's an IU uh, Indiana University-based program. You are amazing. I just have to say that because I, I think of all the things that you just mentioned and one of those would be rock star status and you do <laughs> so much shit. Anyway, we got to be really good friends when um, I was working with some other female physicians to start like a group of us lady doctors at our hospital to actually get to know each other. That's called women in medicine. And Mm -hmm. I think the first meeting we just happened to like sit next to each other. And then every meeting after that, I have made it a point that we have to sit together and talk. So I appreciate you. And I'm so glad that we have got to know each other over the past year. So our word together, and if there's anybody listening who has small children around them, then you turn this off now. But the word is fuck. Tell me why you picked this word. So um, I, I primarily in my, in my practice, um, and as a psychiatrist, I came across a book a few years ago called Fuck Feelings. and um, it was written by Michael Bennett and his um, daughter. I forget her full name, but um, uh, she's a humor writer and he is a psychiatrist who's been practicing for 25 years. And the book is actually really 
um, great. And um, in it, he talks about the benefits of cursing. And I've always known this, but now there's actual data involved um, that cursing might actually be good for you. Um, and uh, there's a couple of studies that they've done that have been replicated over and over again that people who curse tend to be more honest. And that makes sense from a neurological standpoint because people who curse tend to have less breaks, so to speak. So if you have less breaks on your, on your frontal lobe, then, then you curse a little bit more. Um, and subsequently, you'd be more honest. Um, but also, I feel like cursing has a lot of other benefits as well. And fuck is one of my favorite words. Um, so it tends to relieve stress. You feel less pain. It's great as a coping mechanism for just the crazy fucking shit that happens to you every day. Like I stub my toe and I go, fuck like, and it makes me feel a little bit better. And I let out some of the tension. Um, uh, I also appreciate humor is my favorite defense mechanism. So I also appreciate the use of cursing and humor. I do not encourage cursing to be mean or at people. Um, so you don't want to walk around calling people fucking idiots because that's not going to win you friends or make you feel better. Um, uh, but but well-placed curse words are important for mental health. And I feel like we don't do enough of that, um, especially as women. You know, uh, surgeons curse all the time. Like I used to hear it all the time when I was on surgery. And I was like, huh, you know, it does relieve some stress. But then they start cursing at people and that's less fun. Um, then in residency, I was with an attending who we got an email or something that faculty weren't supposed to curse at residents or something. And he's like, what do you mean I can't say fuck anymore? And I look at him and go, no, no, you're not supposed to call people fucking idiots. And he goes, oh, well, I didn't do that anyway. And I was like, okay, yeah, but I think that's what the email means. Um, <laughs> it's more about not being mean um, than, than not being able to use what I consider to be an underused coping mechanism, especially um, in polite, proper society. So nobody's ever accused me of being proper. So um, uh, if that's what you're going for, I'm probably not the best advice giver on that. I think that's amazing because I can speak to this being so true in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I think back to when I probably was just being a carbon copy of what I thought I needed to be as a person and as a doctor. And it wasn't fun. It wasn't mm -hmm. fun at all. And now I will drop an occasional F bomb. Oh shit. Yep. You know, that sort of thing. And it, my four, my four, I know my four year old invented a game called damn it. Yeah. Now uh, people have different rules for cursing with their kids. Like, they do. So, yeah. um, the rule that was prevalent in my husband's house growing up is the one that we kind of use. So my mom never cursed like ever, but when we turned 13, she was like, Fuck it, I don't care what you guys do anymore as far as like what you say. Right. Um, but, um, but in my husband's house, you weren't allowed to curse outside the house until you were 18 because they didn't want to go to meetings. Like, it's <laughs> so I don't want to go to meetings at school. They're painful and obnoxious. So um, the same rules apply to my kids. You can curse, but not outside the house. And it helps them learn perspective and how to curse without being mean. Yeah. Um, uh, and so my four-year-old invented a game called Damn It, where she drops something on the floor and says, Damn it. <laughs> Um, and she looks like she's having a lot of fun doing it. But, uh, honestly, despite the fact that I curse all the time, I'm not really censoring myself in front of my kids very much. They rarely actually curse. Um, I think they're just being genuine to themselves, but, um, they have a pretty decent life as, as far as I'm concerned. They have a pretty decent life. So 
Uh, maybe they just don't have as much reason for it. But I, I thought my daughter's invention of the damn it game was pretty, pretty spot on. That's my, awesome. Yeah. My, my brother and his wife um, tend to say that their kids shouldn't curse. Um, um, but yeah. I think it's, we have kind of similar things. So at my house, if you can't tell me what the word means, you can't use it. And that kind of goes for like all vocabulary. Like if you can't tell me what it means, then that word is off limit or we talk about it. And it's so funny, like outside of the home, other people's perceptions, like not to like tell bad, but my mother-in-law, she doesn't like like anatomical terms. And as a physician, (laughs) I use like penis, vagina with my kids and like with, their issues. You well, know? I do too. Like my, my, my daughter got a little irritation or something. And she said, my vagina itches. And I'm like, well, great. Cause if we're calling it cookie or something, I'm not going to know what the hell you're talking about. Right. right? Everything has a name. Elbows have names. Noses have names. Why should other body parts be different? Yeah. Um, and that's what I talk with my mother-in-law about. And then also my kids are totally into toilet humor right now. Like they, yeah, yeah. Like my four-year-old, everything ends with like poopy. Like yes. every so joke has a drives poopy. her nuts. And I'm, <laughs> I just, I'm like, it's because you're getting upset about it that they're going to continue to do it. If you just normalize this, it's like, yep, that's where poop comes from. Yep. That's where pee comes from then it's like a non-issue anymore. Well, I mean, and, and I think as we think of it as a, as like a private part or sexual thing and therefore it's taboo for some reason, I don't know why, but, um, um, uh, but for them, they're just learning how to potty train. And so this is like a big step, um, developmentally in children's lives is learning how to potty train and learning about their body parts and how their body functions and works. And the less shame you put around that, the better. I mean, I think we all kind of understand and know that. But, um, you know, there's some, some old, there's some the ways that we talk about different body parts definitely impact our, our vision of them. And, and this is where language, like the power of language comes in. So uh, if, if, if we want to say that something isn't taboo, then we need to be able to talk about it mm-hmm. um, and use the proper words and use the proper tools. Exactly. And, and that's where I really think about like with her issues about it, that's more about her than what my kids intent are. Because typically, you know, like when my husband gets squirrely about something going on with my daughter, I'm like, just ask, don't assume. And I think that's what we should all do so much in our lives is if something makes you uncomfortable, one, you need to ask for more clarification from the other person. But two, I think you also need to take an introspective look and be like, why does this bother me? Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I think that goes for, for most of us in our personal and professional lives. If something is bothering us, then we need to be able to put a language to it. Um, uh, whether it's with your boss or with your husband or with your kids, um, having a language is important. I, w- I once saw an episode of Call the Midwife where it sounded like the woman was having like some prolapse issues, but she didn't have the language to talk about it. So when the midwife started asking her more detailed questions about what was going on with her and why she had to run out of class, you know, like an exercise class they were doing suddenly, she said, well, I can't really talk about it. And so she had to go to like a full exam and she could, and, and she said, well, I could have gotten this fixed years ago if only I'd had the words, like I didn't have the words. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
to me, there's not a whole lot of taboo in the world that shouldn't be talked about or discussed. And I think that helps that being a psychiatrist, like I never apologize for asking a patient a question because it's all relevant. Um, and I find that, and I, as soon as I stopped apologizing for things I really didn't need to apologize for, everything became so much more comfortable. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to the word fuck too. Like, what is it about it that you can't say versus saying banana? You know, yeah. <laughs> it honestly is a word. And, you know, and like, exactly. It's like, why do we get so hung up with, you know, replacing fudge with fuck? Yeah. Because yeah, your intent is still the, the same. The, the word doesn't have the same kind of power, at least in our own brains. So, so words can have power. And uh, me and my husband got into this argument because I told him I was doing this. And then I picked the word fuck. And he goes, why didn't you pick the word shit? It's much more versatile of a curse word. And I said, but not as powerful as the word fuck. So, and both of them can be used as verbs, adverbs, uh, nouns, adjectives. Like you can use them in so many different contexts, but they give words power. And they, they make, they, they emphasize a point in a way that other, other words just can't. Um, Absolutely. Also, I, like, like they inject a lot more humor. Um, into situations. And if you look at stand-up comedians, um, Dave Chappelle's one of my favorites. He says fuck all the time, right? And kind of injects it into his humor. And it just, it just works. It's more funny. And it goes back to the book I was telling you about, Fuck Feelings. Like, um, and part of the underlying notion of that book is kind of accepting things that we can't change and actually trying to find things in our lives that we can't. Because we all want things that we're never going to be able to change. So we all want like, like, like people come in with like, oh, well, why can't my child just be X? Why can't my spouse just be X? Like there are things about our lives that we aren't going to be able to change because they're not under our control. And when you say, fuck it, that is not under my control. It is much easier to kind of reframe and say what actually is under my control. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Bucket in the chuck it bucket. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've been saying a lot here lately. <laughs> Oh, yeah. we all need a good mantra yeah. to, yeah, to kind of empower us, take the steam out of something else mm -hmm. and, and do that with. I'm going to definitely have to check out this book because you yeah. have got me intrigued on it for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's very funny and it's got sections on why you shouldn't date people with borderline personality disorder, which is just hilarious. Like, uh, and he ends it with like, so maybe date somebody who's less exciting and maybe with life insurance. You know? <laughs> 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 oh, hashtag! I, just, I show that I show that letter to med that the 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 part of that book about borderline personality disorder to medical students when they ask me. So, what exactly is this? And I say, well, read this, and this will explain to you why you shouldn't date borderlines, and so how to identify one, right? How to kind of spot one in your daily life. Uh, just too much drama. Uh -huh. Can we can we still label people borderline or because I know that the DSM yeah, I mean, kind of and, and and part of this is being honest, right? So so when I talk to a patient and I think they're diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I talk to them about it and I give them the list of here's the symptoms of borderline personality disorder. What do you think about this? And a lot of them will go or feel almost relieved to actually be told, no, you're not bipolar, right? They've all been told they're bipolar. Uh, that is not a correct label. And so without the correct word, without the correct word, we cannot treat them appropriately in a clinical situation. So in borderline personality disorder is treatable. 
It's a treatable mental health condition and it's often comorbid with PTSD. Um, it is less comorbid with bipolar disorder, which is like significantly rarer than borderline personality disorder. Um, three to 4% of the population versus like 10 to 15% have some kind of personality disorder. And a lot of those in our culture are bees, cluster bees. And a lot of those are going to be borderline in our practice. Um, so when you start to think about borderline personality disorder as something that is treatable and also something that has an origin, um, so people aren't, aren't necessarily born this way. They, it's a complex interplay between their genetics and their environment. Uh, 90 some odd percent of them have some significant history of trauma, either in childhood or young adulthood. Um, and in a, in, a, in a few ways, it's more normal for 14-year-olds to look a little bit borderline, right? right. And, if, and, and they kind of grow out of some of the emotional instability and the relationship instability and the sense of self. And some of those symptoms seem, are, and that's why we don't diagnose people until they're adults, but uh, some of those symptoms are common in 14-year-olds, but they're not, but the, they'll go away over time. Yeah, they grow and, out of them. It's when yeah, they just function they as uh -huh. an adult, if you stay in that that mindset that like you said that complexity of genetics and environment that's when it becomes pathologic yes and if it, and pathological personality disorders are are if you're thinking more psychodynamically that's like being stuck in a part of childhood or adolescence and in borderline patients i think about them being kind of stuck a bit in adolescence but being stuck in adolescence is not a great place to be forever right no. you, you can't you can't be stuck in adolescence or or be stuck in a Taylor Swift song forever, right? So the the most borderline song ever is Blank Space by Taylor Swift. <laughs> nine criteria are in it, um, and the accompanying music video. So if and the first time I heard that song, I was in my car and I thought, "Oh, Taylor girl, you need DBT." I don't know if this song is real about you or just like you're just channeling the borderline within. But 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 yeah, I. I, I thought, and then she, she gave an interview where she said, this is what the media thinks I am. And I'm like, the media got borderline down. Like, I don't know if, if, uh, if that was what her intention was, but, and, but it is a treatable illness. And I, I, I work a lot with patients with borderline personality disorder and they don't bother me anymore. Um, antisocials and narcissists bother me much more. Um, and you just want to kick them in the nuts, but <sighs> antisocial is really not treatable. Narcissism is harder to treat significantly. Right. You have to have like a lot of insight and some psychodynamic work and it's just really difficult. But, um, but, but what I also try to do is prevent from adding medications where medications are necessary not effective. Yeah. And, and aren't effective. And I treat people with borderline like they have trauma and they get much better. So um, the number of them I've had that I've been the first person to ask them if they ever had nightmares and they're like, Oh yeah, every night of all this crap that used to happen to me all the time. And I'm like, okay. Well, let's treat that. Um, right. But I have to be able to ask the question first. And, and like when, I, when I'm talking with people with, with, with personality disorders or with trauma in the past, cursing is helpful. Um, and when I start cursing, they open up more. So that's what I find is that they feel like maybe I'm more honest and so they can be. And it's not like I'm in a Quentin Tarantino movie where every other word is fuck, although I have had that patient. Um, the, the, the whole point of it is to relax the patient. And if they're not relaxed, then, you know, pull back. But um, it helps to just be a little bit honest. Um, I was watching the movie Dallas Buyers Club and Matthew McConaughey gets told that he has HIV or, or I think it's progressed to AIDS at that point. 
and he's standing there yelling at the secretary, well, I want to talk to the fucking doctor. You get the fucking doctor out here for me. And he turns around and, and Jennifer, I forget her, her full name. She was married to Ben Affleck. What's her last name? I don't remember. I'm not in, I got three kids. I don't watch movies. I know, I know. But yeah, I watch movies all the time. But, um, um, uh, she's standing there and she, she, he turns to her and he goes, who the fuck are you? And she goes, I'm the fucking doctor over here. <laughs> and he calms down immediately and just follows her. Right. And so matching his level of agitation and matching his language was help was subconscious. It was probably subconscious to that person at the time or the person they were trying to play, but unconsciously it sends a signal to the other person that you get me. And most adults curse. So it's helpful to recognize that I get them. Um, and I'm not saying it's helpful for all, but I work in a community mental health population with a high deal, like deal of trauma addiction. And I loved working with veteran populations and vets seem to appreciate a good curse. They do. They mm. absolutely do. Mm. I think anybody with some humor yeah. appreciates it. I know yeah. I do. Absolutely. Even my like older patients who you wouldn't think about it, look at me and go, Oh, okay. Like, like this is what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> we're getting real now. Fucking real now. Like, like, and, and if I'm more, I'm, I'm more comfortable. I'm more relaxed. I'm, I'm more honest or they perceive me as more honest. They're going to be more honest with me. And that's just better care for them. Yeah. Better mm -hmm. care, better relationship, um, more openness and you're more authentic to yourself. Yeah. You know, you don't have to play the white coat. You know, you can yeah. be you. It's harder for me with kids and I don't treat a whole lot of kids. I mean, I treat kids because, because right now we're kind of low on child and adolescent psychiatrists. I don't know if you've noticed there's some nationwide shortage. <laughs> a farm rep told me once it was like trying to beg people to take her money to find her kid, a child psychiatrist because she wasn't sick enough for the university huddle. She was too sick for the pediatrician. Um, and so kind of getting her to the, where she needed to be, it was begging people to take her money. Um, but, uh, that's why we're starting a residency program, um, here in Southern Indiana to try and get people who want to work in community health populations, underserved areas, uh, cause 70% of us stay where we train. And I understand why after having moved a million times, we don't want to leave anymore. Um, yeah. so it would have been so easy for me to not sell a house and move. Um, but I did anyway, because it's what I wanted to do. Absolutely. Well, I love this conversation. I think our listeners are going to love it too. Say they want to get a hold of you or they want to know more about all these different projects that you're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we're recruiting faculty and everything for the program. And there's also an internal medicine program that's starting up and they're recruiting faculty now too. Um, uh, you can contact me at athomasf at iu.edu. That's athomasf at iu.edu. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, that's kind of my official program email. Um, and, um, especially if you're wanting to join us here in Southern Indiana, I mean, I know Aaron, with the more the merrier baby, more folks for the women's medicine group. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about our new, our new program that'll be taking residence July, 2019. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, we're right in the middle of interviewing. We've gotten a lot of great candidates. Uh, the Super field. great ones. Uh-huh. A whole lot more people are wanting to go into psych. Um, and we have the lowest burnout rate of any specialty. So I think that m might have something. I don't know if it has something to do with it. But 
Uh, I think we we top satisfaction surveys and lower burnout rates all the time. You guys uh, take care of your shit. That's what it is. I'm yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Like and and I mean a lot of what I what I do in my life. Sometimes I try to prevent burnout in myself. Like, oh, I just I don't want to do anything today. I'm gonna binge watch Madam Secretary, and I did that yesterday. Like. My kids came in, they handed me snacks, I opened them and they went on their way and played and uh, I binge watched Madam Secretary because I was behind. So, and I love it too because you have no guilt about it. You're like, nope, that's what no. I did. Nope, I, my kids will be fine. I mean, for every generation before ours, like feeding them occasionally was like the bar for great parenting. So I feel like I'm, I'm going above and beyond um, by opening the food for them. Absolutely. Uh, provider figure out how to do it so. <laughs> love it love and it when i when i spend time with my kids i want to make sure it's actual quality time with them not just quantity time so uh we play a game or we read a book or we do something fun and then i leave them to their own devices because it's better for for them to learn to play and and they get super creative like if you've ever watched your kids play when they don't think you're there or they don't think you're listening um uh the two of them, mine are about three years apart. So that's a pretty decent spread there. But they'll like play outside, they'll play in the yard, they'll play games with themselves. Um, and they come up with the most interesting, creative stuff um, to do. And at that point, it's just me interfering. Like just, I'll just watch while they play. Yeah, it's amazing what their little yeah. minds come up with. And that, yeah. you know, I caught mine the other day podcasting. <laughs> they had their own little podcast show one of my kids wants her own youtube channel and i'm like no mommy doesn't have the effort for video cameras and stuff you're just gonna have to accept that you're not gonna be ryan's family toy video um, <laughs> um mine have figured out invested. how to uh make videos on their kindles yes yes but they're but I had to disable that feature because they were making, like, they were filling up the memory with pictures. And they're like, why can't I play my game? Because you've taken a thousand pictures yep. of nothing. Like The struggle is real. It's the struggle too. is real. <laughs> with Kindle space. And then I had to wipe the whole memory and then restart it. And I'm like, no more pictures. Done. Um, we have to disable that feature for a while until you're older and can understand that you're actually taking a picture when that little click sound goes off. Um but, no more uh, pictures of your toes and your nose. <laughs> yeah, they, they ask me to take pictures of myself, of them all the time with my phone and then show them to me. Um, what do you think about that from a mental health standpoint with our kids and all mm -hmm. their picture taking? Do you think it's well, good or not good? I I don't think it matters. Like, it's not taking the pictures. It's probably the social media stuff, um, which should probably not start until later. But, um, like, teenage years at least, if not later. Um, I, I think it's diminishing their social skills to, 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 to communicate so much through social media and, and teachers sometimes will, will talk about this, um, that 12 year olds today seem less mature in their interpersonal interactions than eight year olds. And it's because communicating with people through a screen is different than face to face. Like you can see somebody's reaction if you're face to face, if you're typing something nasty on the internet, right? You don't see the other person's face when they read it, all right? You don't, you don't, you don't see the actual physical reaction. And since ninety percent of our communication is nonverbal, they're missing out on ninety percent plus of communication because they're not even hearing tone of voice, right? It's just words on a screen, and they can be so powerful, and we forget how powerful they can be. Um, 
and especially if they're removed from any of the context of the the actual tone of voice, the body language, the facial expressions, and then you don't get to see that reaction. So, so I think that's why it's gotten so bad on the internet, um, honestly, because we we just say things and we don't we don't think about how they make anybody else feel, mm-hmm. um, and and that I think is a downside to it. But them taking a picture of themselves and like my husband got her a little Polaroid camera. It's not really a Polaroid. It's like a Fuji film or something. We're all the way back around to Polaroids now. Um, the technology has got advanced so far that we're back to Polaroids. Um, so she sees that it's a real picture, you know, like a physical thing. Um, and it can be more selective of which picture she takes. So what is important to take and what isn't, and that helps prioritize in her brain a little better. But yeah, we probably have too much screen time. Everybody's kid has too much screen time. Um, at some point, I've given up the fight. I don't care as much. You know, I have their Kindle button where I can lock my phone. Like, all right, you're being annoying. We're turning off the Kindles. Like, and they accept that now. Um, so I, I think it's more of a problem if you're if you, the kids can't accept that it's going off. You know, go play with toys. No more TV or Kindle. Just go play with your toys. And um, now I don't do this on days when I'm binge watching Madam Secretary, but you know, like the, the, uh, turn around and spare play on that one and, and be like, all right, Kindle off. You can watch Paw Patrol, but I, I, I limit things like YouTube because, uh, it's just weird stuff and it's yeah, like brain damaged, uh, brain damaged stuff. I like a nice show. I don't feel like, is that bad? You know, Octonaut. Don't you think that the shows they watch now are so much smarter than the shows we watched? Yes. I look at I'm like, they're learning stuff. Like we went to the beach once and, and my, my, I I was trying to get Aria to my oldest daughter to go in the, in the water. And she looks at me and goes, no, sharks and whales. I'm like, where the hell did you learn about sharks and whales? I don't remember ever reading a book about sharks and whales. And my husband, who also doesn't like to go in the ocean, looks at me and goes, "Mm mm-hmm, see? And I'm like, no, this is not a logical thing. Like, <laughs> where did Damn you octonauts. the stupid octonauts had a thing on sharks and whales? And she watches disaster preparedness videos on YouTube, like uh, how to save yourself in an earthquake. She's got an emergency disaster plan for everything. And I'm like, well, I guess that's okay, right? Like, I didn't have a disaster plan for everything when I was seven, but you know, I had one of those stickers in my window so that the, uh, if it ever caught on fire, (laughs) I remember putting that sticker up in my window to be prepared. The ladder, like the ladder you throw out the window. And I I had one of those too. So I'm kind of a nerd. I'm not getting this because it will definitely be used for non-emergency purposes. (laughs) (laughs) If I get that for her, but, um, Um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, she's like, no, you have to check the door handle, make sure it's not hot. And she'll like, tell me all these like safety things. And I'm like, okay. And she knows how to survive a bear attack. I don't, it was on one of the videos or whatever. No Um, bears in Indiana. Sorry. Yeah. I was like, there's no bears in Indiana. (laughs) Um, I think from the bear menace. And then she asked about the ocean. I'm like, honey, we're like a thousand miles from an ocean. Like. The biggest body of water is the Great Lakes, and there's no sharks, like, in the Great Lakes. God love her. God Mm -hmm. love her. Well, that's amazing. Well, it's been great talking with you today, and if anybody wants more from Dr. Allie, she's a hoot. You need to come join us. Wasn't that a fun interview with Dr. Allie Thomas-Fanning? 
Oh, I just going back listening to it. I just it was a blast to do. And I'm so glad she came on. But anyway, now it's time for our kick of encouragement. And what I wanted to do is bring a little personal story from my life. So I have a little daughter that you guys all know, and she loves to get in the refrigerator and get food out. Well, I'm the type of mom that I try to keep stuff that is healthier and good for the kids more accessible and try to hide all the junk food. So at the bottom of our refrigerator is where we keep all like the fruits and the cheese, yogurt, that sort of thing. And she got in there the other day and got into a bag of apples. And I saw her take off out of the kitchen with said apples. So I chased her down to her room and she was back there giggling kind of behind her bed. And I just kind of went and looked around the corner and was like, sissy, what are you doing? Well, she had taken a bite out of each of these apples and I could just tell that she was just so proud of herself. And I just looked at her and said, sis, hey, what are you doing? And all of a sudden she hands me one of the apples and I was like, what? Why are you giving me a bit into apple? And then she said, mommy, this one tastes better. It's for you. Oh, totally melted my heart. Totally washed those (laughs) feelings away of she's wasting food or why are you giving me a half eaten apple? And just totally just melted everything away that I was like, thank you so much. So I encourage you today in those moments when you're like, oh, God, what is getting ready to happen now? Or you see something that you think is teeing up that's going to be just an utter disaster. I encourage you to stay open and just see what happens. You know, of course, we prepare for the worst, but I think we forget the other part of that saying, which is expect the best. And so hopefully you get a half eaten apple sometime soon. Well, that's it for today, guys. I appreciate you so much coming along on this journey and hanging out with me. I could not do this without the support of you all, my colleagues, my team, my family, my friends. And I just want you to know that this podcast and having you as my listeners has been one of the best things that I have had in my life in a long time. So why do I do this podcast? Because four years ago, I needed this podcast. I needed this in my life to help me. And so if there are other female physician colleagues that you know that are out there that seem to be doing okay in life, but who knows beyond the surface, I encourage you to share this with them. Tell them how fun it is, how awesome it is, and encourage them to just listen to a few of your favorite episodes and get them listening. Because you know what? Together we rise and together we can get through anything. So remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. Thank you.